0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the movie Star Trek First Contact. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How are you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Nanu, nanu. <laughs> Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at sqpn. And be sure to leave us comments. We love to hear from you wherever you find us online. I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Doctor Who. You can hear the three of us talk about Doctor Who and find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who. Jimmy, can you give us a recap of Star Trek First Contact?
1: This week, Captain Picard and the gang on the Enterprise must deal with a long-awaited Borg invasion of the Federation. Because of his time as Locutus, the Federation sidelines them. But when the battle goes badly, Picard and the gang violate orders and come to Earth. Using Picard's knowledge of the Borg, they fire on a small, unnoticed thermal exhaust port on the Death Star and destroy the cube. But the cube sends a small sphere back in time, it changes history, and Earth is assimilated. Following it back in time, the Enterprise discovers that its mission was to change history and prevent first contact between humans and Vulcans, which happened when Zephram Cochrane made the first warp flight and attracted Vulcan attention. We thus get multiple simultaneous missions. Down on Earth, Riker, Geordi, and others must repair Zephram Cochrane's ship and convince him to go through with his historic flight. Up on the Enterprise, Picard, Worf, and others must deal with a Borg invasion of the ship. And in engineering, the Borg Queen is uh, giving Data skin grafts and tempting him to become her new consort. At one point, it looks like the only way to win is to evacuate the Enterprise and blow it up, but Picard refuses to do this. However, a visitor from the 21st century named Lily convinces him otherwise. As everyone is leaving the Enterprise, Picard hears a telepathic message from Data, so he stays behind and goes to engineering to rescue him. Picard and Data then use trickery and team up to defeat the Borg Queen, who dies. Afterwards, Vulcans make contact with humans, and the Enterprise returns to the future. The end.
0: All right. So let's place this in in context in in time. Uh, the movie came out in nineteen ninety six. About
1: ten years after World War Three.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. The story itself is about ten years after World War uh, Three. This movie came out in ninety six, which was during DS Nine season five uh mm-hmm. and voyager season 3 which right is relevant because worf uh, ends up showing up here on the enterprise they have to well, it, they have to get him back onto the enterprise for the movie
2: well it's interesting because this was shortly after the introduction of the defiant you know that was only season 4 if i remember correctly so yep. the defiant was only a year old and then it gets its butt kicked right mm. not and not it, destroyed but gets rather heavily damaged in the process in sharing the script for this they um
1: they got a note back from Ira Stephen Bear over at Deep Space Nine saying, um, y'all destroyed the Defiant. And so they added a line saying where, where Worf is told after he's beamed off to the Defiant with other survivors, including presumably other Deep Space Nine cast members that we would know, mm-hmm. Yep, he's told it's damaged but salvageable.
0: Right, yep. right. Because <laughs> that's just bad form to destroy someone else's starship for their show. <laughs> exactly. So um, w- one of the major themes, I think, for this movie is don't meet your heroes, which is a sort of trope mm-hmm. that you get in, in a lot of uh, stories. And this idea that they have this idealized view of Zephyr Cochran, you know, who's the stand you know, in, you know, the the, the first warp human by the way mm-hmm. <laughs> um which is kind of funny how they idolize him even though others members of the federation got there first but in any case um and then they meet him and he's just you know he's sort of a drunken guy who's out to make a buck by with his invention sort of thing yeah uh, kind of Actually, interesting I love the,
2: take I, I love the the lily where picard's talking about oh we, we we're you know we don't we're not capitalists. We don't deal with money. You know, we're kind of like you and Zephyrin Cochran in that. And she just kind of, yeah. s- kind of sneers and kind of mocks a little she, bit. Kind of ah, huh, sure. She, she gets <laughs> this
1: really weird expression on her face, and they don't. And she
2: doesn't make anything out of it, <laughs> right? Right. Which, by the way, right. that was, that's that's great writing. It's just you see it on her face, like yeah, sure, that's not us. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Alfred Woodward g- does a really good job. She's a good actress. I mean, she's, she's a, you know award winning actress and does a really good job with Lily in this story. Um this out of time yeah, this yeah. is
1: this is and this is nice um so apparently there were originally hopes of having tom hanks be zephraim Cochran, yep. oh, wow. which i think would be terrible uh, <laughs> yeah. i'm not a big i'm not a big tom hanks fan especially not after the da vinci code mm. but um but they then wrote it for um james cornwall um and he is great in yeah. the role. Mm-hmm. He's 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 real he's very human. He's very funny. Um he's a little over the top. The humor could be better, but it's it's but it's good. And the idea of a historical figure at a pivotal moment is going to reflect your later values. Yep. No. <laughs> <laughs> just, just and this is just tr- look at I mean you look at our own history. Okay. Abraham Lincoln. The president who freed the slaves, he's going to be so enlightened and blah, 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 blah. Do you study Abraham Lincoln's life? <clears throat> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he, he may have been opposed to human slavery, but that was about it. And yeah. even with regard to the status of African-American descended people in society, this man was no Martin Luther King Jr. Right. In his ideology. So, yeah, you go back in history and you meet someone at a pivotal moment,
2: do not expect them to live up to later ideals. Well, and at least with Zephyr Cochran, they they hint very clearly that he becomes this person. They do. Eventually. Because, you know, Riker throws a line that he said, that he said 10 years later, 10 years after this.
1: And you can tell as after he actually makes the flight and as he's in the process of doing it, there's a process of change.
2: Right. happening to zephyrm cochran where he's beginning to get the vision of the future a little bit more right and then and of course in, in enterprise they bring him back for the maiden flight of the nx-01 enterprise and he has this speech that more the person he's modeled to be
0: right and and that's actually kind of it, is as people become more people change mm-hmm. and you know it, George Washington wasn't George Washington you know from the moment he was born he became the statesman and still had his flaws uh, n- nevertheless and that's the sort of ideas maybe Cochran grows into the role and and that's not a bad message but,
1: and and there's an element of truth there but it's also true that these guys are overestimating who Cochran is <laughs> right well,
0: yeah. right yeah. that's true that's true um, so f- we start with Picard having his locutus nightmare, which is mm-hmm. creepily effective, and frankly, with the resources of a major motion picture as opposed to a a syndicated television show you know the the one lone man among the board collective is mm-hmm. suitably impressive. You know, you have that pullback, and there he is amongst them all.
1: I was thinking about that because this was directed by Jonathan Frakes, and you know, he had cut his teeth as a director on the Next Generation, and he he was the first of the cast members to start to direct. He was given the opportunity, and he did it well enough. They were willing to let other cast members try, mm-hmm. not all of them, but some of them. Right. And um, and I was thinking about that opening shot, because we start with a shot of Picard in his Federation uniform in a Borg alcove chamber, and then we have mm-hmm. this extensive pullback that just keeps going. And I was thinking about reading I've done about other Trek movies and how directors have wanted really impressive pullbacks in opening sequences like William Shatner for star Trek five had this powers of 10 opening shot in space where he just wanted to keep pulling back and pulling back and pulling back. And he couldn't afford it because mm-hmm. those shots are expensive. You have to do a whole bunch of stuff in this one. They not only would have had the immediate set that Patrick Stewart was standing on, they then had to do all this matte paintings, multiple matte paintings with different layers and stuff, in order to achieve the pullback. And it's like, okay, I guess I had enough in their budget that Franks could afford to do this.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, they did a lot of, you know, location shooting in you know the Los Angeles area with the, the all the mm-hmm. Cochrane stuff. Mm-hmm. So that probably saved them some special well, and, effects budget. And
2: yeah. this is starting to get some digital. Work in right. it, the film too. It you know it hadn't gotten down to the level of TV yet, but digital could start using uh, more digital effects and things like this. So that right. that that does kind of cut down a little bit of the that's time, true. if nothing else.
0: So when in the story we have, like you mentioned, Jimmy, that Starfleet is we get this Borg invasion coming that they've been expecting, and Starfleet sends the new Enterprise with Picard. Uh, off to the Romulan neutral zone, presumably because they don't trust him, having mm-hmm. been a Borg. Not uh, presumably,
1: but it says that's why. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. Uh, I mean, they don't come out and say it to him, but that's that. You know, they they give him a a, a mission, but everyone recognizes that it's a it's a make work mission to get him off the side.
1: Mm-hmm. And they they also the reason they don't trust him is not. I mean, it's because he used to be a Borg. But mm-hmm. why? you wouldn't trust someone who used to be a Borg is not clear. It could be either because he's going to panic and freeze up and, and just collapse and be Mm non-functional. It could be because he's going to be tempted by memories of the collected, of the collective and want to give up. Or it could be, he's going to be so irrationally hating on the collective. He will make bad command decisions. And so there are a number of reasons you, you might not want to have a yep. person who is a former um, drone in charge of your best ship. What would have been more interesting is instead of sidelining them, because it's clear that's not going to stand, you know, right. the, would be to say, have have Picard go to Riker in private and say, They've asked me to step aside for this. I'm to be your advisor and you are
0: to lead this. Mm-hmm. Right. That would have been more likely, in fact, because the fact is that you want every ship that possible, including your best ship, which the Enterprise is supposed to be right. in the battle. And in fact, that's really what turns the tide is having the Enterprise there, but also having Picard, because despite whatever liability he is, he also is mm-hmm. an asset in that he knows the vulnerability yeah. That he's shooting at. And and the way
1: I just sketched it out, it would have been a more dramatic character moment. Right. Yeah. And, and it would have been uncomfortable for Riker and Picard. And then during the course of the battle, you get the ship shaken the wrong way. Riker gets a head injury. Picard's back in charge. And Riker recovers in a few minutes in sickbay. bay.
2: And you, right. you've got the entire rest of the movie back on you, track. You wouldn't even need to do that. You know, have them show up and battle's going badly. And Riker just says, you take over.
0: Or just Picard said to <laughs> Captain Riker, look, I know where you should hit it. Hit it here. I know yeah. this because I was a drone. You know, it, it adds that dramatic moment. And then Riker has to, do I trust him or not? That could have been a real nice dramatic moment. Yeah. and and, there. It's, and
2: to be fair, you know, you mentioned three things. Well, that third thing was that he makes irrational command decisions. And, of course, what happens? He becomes he makes, Captain <laughs> Ahab, who <laughs> yep, makes right. the irrational command decision to fight the Borg instead of just blowing up the ship until right. he gets called on it.
1: And and there's an in, there's some really nice stuff at the end, because they're playing out that theme of him being irrational. And then it turns out he's right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he yes, he should have made the decision to evacuate and blow up the ship, and he did, eventually. But then he's turned out, right, we can defeat the Borg without l- blowing up the ship, because he proceeds to do that with Data's help. Right,
0: right. right. Yeah, so we have... Um... Picard's famous line, we draw the line here and you know, that yeah. that whole yeah, thing.
1: No, no not as good as quarks. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes.
0: And then Lily calls Picard on his twenty fourth century arrogance, which mm-hmm. we get a a good helping of throughout this, like this whole like, oh, we don't have money in the future, oh we don't have poverty and whatnot, and wars in the future, which is patently false, as we have seen time and time again yep. in TNG and DS9, especially. Where yeah. there is poverty and wars and whatnot in the future. We don't
2: have poverty and wars on Earth. Right.
0: Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, Until there's
2: a fear of the Dominion and then there is yes. war. <laughs> um, At least a takeover.
0: But that's when Lily calls him Ahab and he gets the reference and uh, he realizes his quest for vengeance will destroy him and the ship. Except it doesn't, like you said.
1: Yeah. That scene is so nice. With with Lily and Picard, I mean that's one of the things that people remember most about this movie, and they remember her. You know, you broke your little ship's line, yes, and and it it it's interesting. I mean, it comes very late in the movie. It's Mm -hmm. just it's at the beginning of the final act, and um, and it's very intense and it's the it's certainly the thing that lily is most remembered for in the movie where you right. get this visiting guest character who stands up to picard and 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 it tells him truths that other crew members have been trying to tell him but they're hampered by their their rank and their need to subordinate to him and she's not And she's able to be convincing and she stands up to this heroic character and tells him off and succeeds in changing his mind. It is it is a really great scene.
0: I love it. It turns things on its head. You know, Picard, the man from the future with all the answers and all the technology whiz bang. And she's supposed to be super impressed. And here we have I think it was the third instance of Picard showing a primitive person, their planet from space, a a woman, mm-hmm. primitive woman, mm-hmm. her planet from space. And this is the one who, I mean, she's a little odd at being in space, but she just, he's not odd by Picard. In fact, she, yeah. she sees him for who he is and puts him, uh, you know, puts him in his place in a sense. Yeah.
1: She she also, and this now that we have the Paramount Plus era of Star Trek, this is nothing new because now they cuss all the time on Star mm-hmm. Trek. Right. But she uses cuss words in a Star Trek movie in a way that they have not been used before. We got a little bit of cussing in Search for Whales, yeah, right. but, but not much. And here we get U.S.O., John Luke U.S.O.B., only she doesn't say S.O.B. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And and then she's she's very dramatic in what she tells him. She says, Come on, Captain, you're not the first man to get a thrill out of murdering somebody. I see it all the time. Right. Yeah. And then she says, Captain Ahab has to go hunt his whale and Jean Luke blow up the damn ship. Yep. And and it's it's very dramatic. I also and then after he he flies off the handle and smashes his display case. Of course, we get the "you broke your little ship's" line, mm-hmm. and I love the fact that he can quote Moby Dick. <laughs> Moby Dick. Yes, yep. and and she says, "Actually, I never read it."
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> after having said, because when she first makes the Captain Ahab reference, he says, "What?" and she says, "Moby Dick." Don't you have books in the future?
2: And then later, it's yeah. actually, "I never read it." Well, it's such a cultural <laughs> reference. So, yeah. Well,
0: and, that's what and nice I thing. is like, it's a cultural reference. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I love the little touch in that scene is what does she pick up? The broken ship, the star drive of the Enterprise D.
0: Yes. The that ship he broke. that he
2: broke in the last movie.
0: <laughs> that's right. You did break your little ship last time. Um, yeah. And then he quote, yeah. He has that great quote of, you know, the, he, he piled upon the whale's white hump, a sum of all the rage and hate filled by his own race. And it's like, if his chest had been a cannon, he would have shot his heart upon it, which is a great line. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a really great line, and yeah, there was that great interplay. Like she just didn't back down from him, liar, and you know, and yeah, it was it was a Picard we never saw in the in the in the series that rage, that anger, that sort of thing. Um, it felt a little sudden in this one. Like, why is Picard like as as we started? before the borg invasion he's suffering this trauma and so it felt it, When i remember i remember when i first saw this 30 years ago almost um feeling how sudden this was and that was an odd experience so jump back in i want to kind of jump back to, to the beginning and a we'll little talk a little bit about the cast and some of the yeah i was going to say we kind of jumped over the entire movie <laughs> we did yeah. we did uh some of the cameos or small roles of actors who would later be well-known. Mm-hmm. So we had Neil McDonough playing the Enterprise Con Officer Hawk. You yeah. Know? he. So I, I
1: didn't realize at first that was uh, Neil I was McDonough. Go, yeah. McDonough. I was yep. looking at him going, boy, that looks like Neil McDonough. But
2: <laughs> Well, funny. <you> and <laughs> I kept thinking of him
1: as the guy that looks like Neil McDonough. <laughs> and then it turns out, oh, that's who it is. Okay. Yep. yep but he's the he's the red shirt in yes. in this and it's obvious from the beginning be, <laughs> right. that he's going to die because they he's this new guy we've never seen before he's on the bridge and they keep shoving his face into ours <laughs> <Yeah>. right <laughs> the way they're using the camera so it's like why do we keep focusing on this on this character we've never seen before obviously he's going to become prominent and die
0: what about the uh, the other officer who they got sent back to, like, he was holding the checkpoint and, you know, and got sent back basically to die or whatever? Um, mm-hmm. Was he from TNG? Was he one of the background guys in TNG? Did he look familiar? He looked familiar. Him, okay.
1: I don't know. They, they they did have, they brought a lot of the regular TNG people who yeah. had, had been on the series, like Nurse Igawa yep. is, is right. in this and so forth. So if you had a name in TNG or otherwise oh. worked in the background, you might end up in this.
0: Well, <laughs> right.
2: then, well, then Admiral Hayes was played by Jack Shearer, who was Darmok.
0: Darmok, really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, He was actually what, what,
2: several what?
1: different roles. Uh, so, but in the episode Darmok, uh, Dathan is played by Paul Winfield. Yeah, i trying to think. Of,
0: he was... Yeah, I don't see him in it. So it says he's uh, he's Admiral Strickler in Voyager. He's maybe I misread it, but okay, he's a, Ro, a Romulan and a Vadoz um, Bolian um, in DS Nine. Oh, I miss. I'm, I wonder where. It came. I must have misread it. I'm sorry. Okay, no, that's wrong. And he he actually shows up as he, he presumably survives this battle. By the way, because he also shows up later on yeah. in Voyager in a couple of episodes. So even though his <laughs> ship is destroyed, he survived. Which, good for him. Um, the uh, other actor I wanted to c- highlight, uh, well, in addition, we have uh, Robert Picardo, the mm-hmm, doctor yeah. from Voyager.
1: His, his, his is great. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I love how, he, I mean, Beverly Crusher has told him, we're evacuating the burger about to break in, to create a distraction so we can get away. Yes. Mm-hmm. and And this is a brand new, never been used, emergency medical hologram. He does not have all of the years of experience that the, the the doctor does on Voyager. Yeah, and so when he's told create a dis- a distraction, what he thinks to do <laughs> is turn to the Borg and say. Federation Medical Research indicates that Borg implants can cause severe
2: skin irritation. Would you perhaps care for an analgesic cream? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well I, well, I love when he's told to to basically block him. Is like I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. So of course, yes. you had to have the call yeah. back to Bones. You know, yep,
0: the McCoy line. Yep, that was good too. Uh, and so the third one I wanted to call out was an even smaller part. The con officer on the Defiant, the helmsman, was Adam Scott from Parks and Rec. So, um, hmm. y- y- and you, I saw it. I'm like, wait a minute. I, I didn't know that until I was watching. I'm like, I know him. That voice is familiar. And it's Adam Scott, who, yeah, he's everyone who is a fan of Parks and Rec would immediately recognize him as, um, oh, and I was looking quickly and I forgot the name of the character, but he's on Parks and Rec as, as Leslie Nope's, uh, eventual husband, boyfriend, whatever. So, um, just a lot of fun there. Uh, so that's, that's the, the cast and this, uh, Oh, Alice Creek as the Borg Queen. Her first mm-hmm. appearance as as the Borg Queen. Very interesting. She she does all, you know also shows up as the Borg Queen in Voyager later. Um, mm-hmm. Should note by the way, because I don't think we've yet have yet. Um, Annie Wershing is the actress who played the Borg Queen in the second season of Picard. She mm-hmm. recently passed away, so I just oh, want no. to. Oh Yeah. Yeah, she had cancer and oh. uh, so she she recently passed away. She so, so yeah. good.
2: Yeah, she actually had cancer as she was playing the Borg queen. She found out before she got the role and continued to work through the yeah. cancer. Which yeah, is impressive when you think of the makeup and everything that she would have to go through to be to take on that role.
0: Yeah. I really enjoyed her and she was in The Rookie and uh Bosch for Season of Bosch and so she was yeah, a, a a very good actress you've seen in various things. So, you know, may she rest in peace and you know, God bless her family. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, so Alice Krieg, though, really kind of set the bar for what we have. For, and this was the first time we have a Borg queen and a Borg personified. And that was a big well, change. It, it, we had
1: Locutus before. Okay. And in the writing of The Best of Both Worlds, they the writers discussed what's it going to be like if we have if, – if we keep the Borg the way they were originally presented as just this mob – of with a hive mind if we don't have a face for the characters to interact with and they said at the time we need to introduce a queen and and the and, and during the process of writing the best of both worlds the idea occurred to them oh picard is the queen mm-hmm. and that's how we got the lacutus character mm-hmm. um and then even though it doesn't really make any sense Because you've created a Locutus character. So look, and I just, I'm sorry, in Latin, Locutus means that which has been said.
0: Right. Um,
1: (laughs) But uh, in any event, you create this Locutus figure in your collective to assist in the assimilation of humanity. Well, as soon as you've assimilated any humans, you should know that's never going to work. Right. That is not how... Human psychology works. You this having someone who's a member of our species to talk to us is not going to get us to cooperate. It's going to make it worse. <laughs> yeah, it's going to make it worse. So the thing to do, if you're going to use brute force to overpower us, is just get on with the brute force because the talking isn't going to help. Right. <laughs> but they then, in this movie, they, they apparently there was a draft of it where they didn't have the queen. And one of the one of the suits said it feels kind of faceless, and that then they came up with the queen role all mm-hmm. over again.
0: Yeah, I mean the 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 promise of the Borg is it's a it's a faceless enemy, like a force of nature, and that was interesting in TNG, like this mm-hmm. idea of this force of nature mm-hmm. we're facing. But you're right, it, it presents that problem where we need a an enemy to a face of an enemy to, especially in a movie, and I could see that. Being the tension, I can see it. I also think it's kind of
1: lazy writing that in in Smallens the Borg, yeah, to have to have a queen because they try to. In this movie, they try to play it both ways. Of she is the collective somehow, mm-hmm. she's not really controlling the collective. She just is it. She says you imply duality when she's asked the question, "Do you control the collective?" She says you imply a, a duality where none exists. So it's like she's a readout of the collective in the same way any other borg could be in principle but later no she's just the dictator of the collective
2: <laughs> yeah see they 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 basically phrase it that she's the the collective incarnate
0: mm-hmm. you know where right.
2: the, the 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 entire collective in one physical being but she doesn't run the collective she is this incarnate action of the collective if you will
0: would it be kind of analogous to and this is only analogy like the human body where my mind is part of me but it's not separate from me it i am my mind and my mind is me and my body is me and so does my mind control my body sort of but also not because i'm i am my body and my mind i don't know you're, it seems oh, a stretch.
1: You're you're giving them too much credit. Um <laughs> <I know. laughs> they're 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 not thinking about it deeply. Okay. Um and they they really wanted a villain who's also a critical failure point.
0: So when you kill the queen, all the other all the other Borg yep. blow up and die. That's true. That's true. Okay. Um so we we Picard destroys the cube, knows exactly where to hit it, they get caught in the Borg's time week. And mm-hmm. uh, get sucked in, which is a convenient plot device to enable them to see that the time is changing without having, with without being affected by it. Mm-hmm. And so thus follow it through. Um, and they end up having to go to Father Cory's neck of the woods, Woo! Bozeman, Montana, uh, which they're also, by the way, if, I don't know if you heard uh, that the Boz, USS Bozeman was in the battle. So they had mm-hmm. the, they threw that in there. Um I don't know if we're still being captained by Kelsey Grammer or not, but uh, I think
2: it, in spin-off media they do they do say he was. Like in some mm-hmm. of the books and things like that. He was still there. Ah, okay. Uh actually no, I, I take that back. If I remember writing books, he was responsible for, or he was in charge of the building of the Enterprise E.
0: Oh, okay. So
2: he might not have been, actually.
0: Okay. Yeah. Think...
2: What a guy who's twenty
1: years out of date to oversee the building of your most advanced Certainly <laughs> he did a really? good job.
0: Apparently he did okay. <laughs> So the date is April 4th, 2063, the day before first contact. And as we mentioned, 10 years about after the third world war, most of the major cities in the world are destroyed and 600 million people are dead, which to me, if most of the major cities of the world are destroyed, that's a lot more than 600 million people, Yeah, frankly. Um, I always had a problem with their, their this idea that they would have of all the major cities in, in the world being destroyed in this war that would Do more than just be bad or just slightly interrupt civilization. That's a civilization ending event. Uh
2: that would I think that was supposed to be the point though, is that this was such a severe battle that it it really did kind of reboot human civilization. You know, World War Three almost rebooted human civilization, but allowed it to get to the point where then we could have the first contact and go from there.
0: Uh, for me, it's like that'd be that's a ninety percent die-off event, that that sort of thing. But I, I, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I, again, I don't want to push it too hard. But yeah, that's it's hard for me to take.
1: Incidentally, this so the point we're at where where this starts happening, where they eject the the sphere and the battle with the Borg is over, and now we're shifting to the sphere changing history plot. That's ten minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it feels uh, in in my notes I have that it's it feels very brisk. We don't have lots of pillar filler here. Pillar filler okay. was material that Michael Pillar wrote to pad character moments and pad out right. the runtime. There's no pillar filler here. This is all very straight ahead. We're we're in motion. We're it it it's proceeding mm-hmm. at a very fast clip. In fact, it the beginning clip, the the first ten minutes of the movie feel rushed. Hmm, because weird. we go from Picard having a dream, to the Enterprise being sidelined, to the battle going badly, to the Enterprise breaking orders, to the Enterprise defeating the cube, to the cube ejecting the the sphere. I mean, all of that is in 10 minutes. Right. And it feels very fast and very rushed, and they're not really playing out the emotional beats of all that. In a way, it feel, because they're so focused on getting us to the time travel plot, the, the Borg invasion of the Federation that we've been waiting for six years, we're told at the beginning of the film, it feels rushed. It feels, mm-hmm. you know, underwhelming because we go yeah. through it so quickly.
0: And typical movie distance compression where they get from the neutral zone to Earth uh, in like... Two minutes. Like the the battle is barely continuing and they're they're there.
1: Yeah, I was watching that and I I guess we're meant to infer there are hours and hours of of travel time there and the battle's still going on, but they do nothing to convey that. It feels like blink and they're in the Earth solar Mm -hmm. system.
0: Right. And given up and there's
2: there's a line when they first hear about the board cube getting there that it's gonna take data says something you know, three hours and la 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 minutes to get there. Yeah. And and of course, Picard then has to say, "But we've been told to go the other way."
0: Right? Yeah. It's yeah. It, it it's one of the movie things that they do, and it, right to me, it it kind of strips it of the the momentousness of this occasion, which is the, the that long-awaited Borg invasion. Um, it feels pretty quick. Um, so they they get to the twenty-first century, and also, Picard
1: the Borg invasion plan is stupid. <laughs>
0: Send one um, cube.
1: Send yeah. one cube into. We're later told there are 150 worlds in the Federation, and you send one cube
0: to Earth. To the, to the center to, to of the Federation. Earth? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And as we know, there there are thousands of cubes. But mm-hmm. okay. So they get to or they get to the 21st century. Picard, Data, Beverly. Oh, wasn't. It, was it Beverly? Who? Yeah. Beverly beams down. Uh, Deanna, and uh, they make sure to put on 21st century clothes. But Data. <laughs> like they're not worried that people can see data and go i know what are you <laughs> yeah i wondered
1: about data i wondered about that yeah um, they don't make anything out of it but
0: i wondered about no. it he's got so a rare the,
2: skin condition that's all you'd have to say
0: <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's an he's albino. he has that skin condition so they get to um the this missile site in montana uh which in reality is a real u.s air force silo that's now a museum the titan 2 museum outside of Tucson, I think, or it's in Arizona uh, okay. where they filmed it. They got permission to film using a real decommissioned Titan II missile that they then put a a capsule on top of for the uh, for mm. the, the spaceship. See, so, see I thought the, the surroundings didn't look
2: like a typical Los Angeles type forest. Those are much more. Jimmy, of course, knows better what they mm-hmm. look like, but uh, that looked more like a Mountain West.
0: No, no, that that is that is that um, is yeah. yeah.
2: It, it's and out in the Mojave,
1: you'll see areas that look like that. Okay,
0: yeah. that,
2: that did look more like a, Mo, a Montana type scene than you mm-hmm. usually see from something filmed in the Los Angeles area.
0: Right, the interiors are definitely the of the of the missile silo were in Arizona, but the rest okay. of it was filmed in in California. Um, so the uh, they get there um they find all these people dead and then lily is like sh- shooting at them with a with a uh, a projectile weapon uh and data's like i'll handle this and hops down mm-hmm. she shoots him up and then he says greetings <laughs> it's yeah. a very classically dated thing i thought that was that was pretty funny um and this this all occurs after the borg have been shooting at the planet trying to kill Cochrane at the missile site at the yep. missile site yep and the enterprise has destroyed the borg uh sphere and they think that all the Borg are dead. They don't know that they beamed over the last minute because their senses were down conveniently. Mm-hmm. Um so and then we have this scene of Picard wanting to touch the Phoenix and this whole like Data why do you why do you want to touch it? What is and it's like Data wouldn't know that touch is important to humans. Like and it just, he's got oh. his
1: emotion chip and it's turned on at the moment. Yeah.
0: Right. And it just feels like they keep doing these things with Data where Data would at least have the information about human nostalgia, human sentiment. He would at least have, after yeah. all this time, it just, but what they're doing is foreshadowing the touch related to Data's skin right. that he gets later, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother issue. Um, so uh, we have the, 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 these images of, uh, or the scenes of the enterprise slowly getting taken over. And it's nice that they do that movie thing where that we don't see the the, the monster, we don't see the shark under the water for a while, and we, we get point of view from the Borg, but we don't—we see their effects, but we don't see them, so that they're, they're doing that. Also, the
1: Borg at this point have uh, nanobots that can transform you into a Borg instantly, basically. Yeah. Right. And, I mean, it, they'll make some modifications to your body impossibly, but— um but they don't turn you into the full borg with all the accoutrements they still have to do that to you as a second yep. stage but in terms of you're neutralized and you're on our side now mm-hmm. and right. that happens instantly and and okay fine the idea of nanotechnology is good i guess in that it is realistic that we would have nanotechnology in the future and certainly an advanced group like the borg would but the problem is it's too powerful. They have ridiculous restrictions on mm-hmm. how it works. The Borg have these tubes that they stick out of the back of their hands to inject you in the neck mm-hmm. with the nanobots. And it's like, no, that is not how you would, this is not how any sane st- strategist would devise a nanobot attack. It needs to be cloud based. You mm. spray these into an environment and let mm-hmm. them do their job. You don't put them in tubes and inject them into people's necks. right You just create a nanobot vapor that you let people inhale or that <laughs> that gets on their skin and it and takes them over that way right It is the, uh, the,
0: the the and that's the thing is if you did that, the bug would be too powerful, and so yeah. they've they've kind of pulled it back but right, there's that obvious flaw. Uh, in it that they, they, they want us to wave a hand at and overlook. So Picard tells once they know that the Borg are invading, and Picard beams up, sends uh, uh, Riker down to deal with the Cochrane situation. Um, and Picard tells the security teams that he's leading uh, to take back the ship not to hesitate to fire on Enterprise crew members who've been assimilated because they're lost. And I'm thinking, um, weren't you recovered from being a full-on <laughs> drone, dude? Like, why are
1: they lost? Yeah, but in this situation, you in in the Picard situation, they had a way to get him back, mm-hmm. and in this situation, it's so rapidly moving that there is, I mean, and and they're likely dealing with multiple crew right. members who have been assimilated. There's right. no time to, in this situation, to stop and try to rescue people.
0: Right. Agreed.
1: And his line is, you'll, you'll be doing them a favor. Um, now, part of what this is, is this is the ramp up of irrationality.
2: hmm mm-hmm.
1: But they could have, if they wanted to, I, I understand that the strategic decision or the tactical decision not to try to rescue people. Um, in the, you know, because of the resource limitations we have right now, but, uh, they could have made that explicit right. and, and say, we don't have the liberty right now to try to rescue people. So do not try to rescue people.
0: It's a, it's a very diff- difficult moral decision he's made here too, which Lily will call out because in that scene, which we'll, we'll talk about in some, mm-hmm. some detail in a bit. Up in the hologram, uh, holodeck, where he shoots up the Borg. There, um, she notices this is one of his crew members, and he's rooting around in his guts for the the Borg, you know, uh, component. And he's completely phlegmatic about it at this point. He was raged a, a second ago, and now he's you know phlegmatic about it. And she's like, "This is one of your crew members. Like, you just you have no feelings about this." And so she kind of calls him a little bit on the morality mm-hmm. of what he's doing. So they're not blind to it, and I, I think that's part of it.
1: They they are, though, kind of blind to um, what actually happened in Picard's experience with the Borg. They, they retcon it twice in this movie, because when we saw Best of Both Worlds, we saw, even though he's been assimilated and they're sticking Borg stuff on him, Picard is crying, Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's clearly still in there. And then at the end of it when when they've rescued him, they ask how, how much do you remember and he says everything, including right. some brilliant strategy. And here at the beginning of the film they're telling us every trace of individuality was was destroyed. I was one of them and blah blah blah. It's like no you weren't. They yeah. may have been in control of you, but you weren't. And then at the end of the movie they retcon it again. And say, oh, there was this whole queen thing there, and you didn't want me to be a drone. You wanted me to be your consort, your equal. And uh, like, really, how and
0: why? Mm. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, they do. They're inconsistent with the pre, uh, treating that. I mean, I get why Picard would have been more conscious. They wanted him as Lacutus to be more... Um, individual than the drones are. The drones are merely drones and erase all personality. Although what we learned from later on in Voyager is that the the individual survives inside. There is mm-hmm. some of them in there. Um, so yeah, there is also another inconsistency, which is as they are making the security teams are making their way through the dro- the Borg infested corridors. You know, it, try not. You know, don't don't oh. shoot at them. Don't interrupt them. If if we aren't a threat, they'll they'll ignore us. And like two minutes ago, they were assimilating crewmen unprovoked. Yeah. Like why?
1: I know this is irrational and inconsistent and it plays to their disadvantage later in the movie. I have in my notes, Borg need to seriously
2: rethink the strategic ignoring policy. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Because it
2: always hurts them. Right. Right. Well, and and, I mean, that goes all the way back to when we first see the Borg, they realize very quickly that they're not going to do anything. They're they'll ignore them until they pull out their weapons.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do this a lot in Voyager too. Like this, this, Mm -hmm. where where they, they go on these cubes and wander around, um, which you would think that the collective would go, Hey,
2: this is a Voyager. They are our enemy. Do not (laughs) ignore them.
0: That doctor is present. Assimilate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is a little doctor who reference. Um,
1: by, by the way there's a line i really like um where so lily has g- split she's yep. up on the ship now and during the evacuation uh of sickbay she she left uh dr crusher and the others and went off on her own and she's got a um, she's got a phaser mm. and she's waving it around at picard and you know telling him if you don't start giving me explanations. I'm going to start pushing buttons and things like that. And finally, after she wins and he wins enough of her confidence that she hands over the phaser. He looks at it and says, maximum setting, you would have vaporized me if you shot. And -hmm. she looks at him and just in an understated way says, it's my first ray gun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This there's another moment where she kind of refers to the Borg as bionic zombies. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then and he's he says they're the Borg. She says, Borg. Sound Sounds Swedish. Swedish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> referencing these fa- the famous Swedish uh tennis player Bjorn Borg. <laughs> well, I was thinking of the
2: Swedish chef.
1: Borg Borg work. Oh. Yeah. Borg is a is a Swedish morpheme. It shows up a
2: lot.
0: Yes, it does. So uh down on the planet, uh they found uh Cochrane. Drunk in the bar with, uh Diana has found him, and so she's been drinking with him, trying to convince him to 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 you know finish the warp ship. And Picard finds her drunk, and he says, and she's Riker, like, Riker,
1: Riker finds I'm her sorry,
0: drunk. Riker, thank you. Yep. And she says, uh, I'm trying to blend in, and he's j- laughing at her. Goes, you're blended all right. <laughs>
2: <Which> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you criticize great, like, my psych- my psychological processes <laughs> or counseling process? Yeah. And then and collapses then, on the table.
0: <laughs> right, right. So we we have this Cochrane building a warp ship, the most advanced vessel ever created by a human being, like a shade true mechanic in the wilds of Montana. And that's always kind of bothered me a little bit. Well, except it's not quite that because they,
1: they at the beginning, I mean, it, it, it's easy to get that impression because the only people that are ongoing parts of the story from Montana are Cochran and Lily. Mm -hmm. And that can make it seem like it's just the two of them. But actually at the missile complex, there are all these other people who are working on the project. And when they show up, Doctor Crusher looks around and says they're all dead. So apparently there were a lot more people working on this, and Cochrane and Lily happened to survive because they weren't in right. the missile facility
2: when it was attacked.
0: Okay. Okay. I get I guess I can see that.
2: Yeah, there's there's yeah. there was large you saw a large crowd of people in the bar there and, and right. before the attack, so
0: But they are kind of out in the wilds, like just sort mm-hmm. of in in the middle of nowhere, um, Zephyr
2: Cochran was a prepper. He had all the material he needed. Apparently, <laughs> I guess. I guess. Well, I think after after World War
1: III, it was the preppers who survived.
0: Yeah. Now, given that Montana has Maelstrom Air Force Base, which is one of the largest ICBM fields in the world, you know all the 20, silos.
2: Twenty-five miles from where I'm sitting right now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and this
0: is this is a ICBM silo that they're, they're they use, an ICBM that they're using. Mm-hmm. It's it does push belief a little bit that uh, that would have survived World War Three, but yeah, and that that's
2: <laughs> if if you remember the movie War Games, you know Matthew Broderick, yeah, the you do would you like to play a game, right? There was one scene where they showed if I remember, well, I, I know they showed Grand Forks, which is a missile silo center, yeah, um, and I believe they did show Malmstrom going poof because uh, yeah. we know that the first targets are our center of government, meaning DC and the missile silos.
0: Right. So we can't strike back. So, yeah. <laughs>
2: so that's, that's just, kind of morbid, morbid joke, but I, you know, where I am living now, I say, yeah, if World War three happens, I'll have enough time of it to go. Oh, oh my God. I'm heartily sorry for having offended And <laughs> yeah, That'd be about that's,
0: it. That'd be about <laughs> it. Right. <laughs> so, uh, moving back to the, the more fun of the movie, um, the, uh, the, the people on the surface don't know what's going on up on the enterprise uh, they've been cut off, and that that's an important aspect of this. So we have these two poles of the story, the two different stories running simultaneously, and they they're trying to convince Cochrane that he needs to do this thing yeah
1: and the two poles of the story have markedly different tones the mm-hmm. The one down yep. on the on earth is much lighter and much more and is capable of comedy. Right in um, to a much greater extent, whereas the one in um, in on the enterprise is suspense and horror and action. And mm-hmm. I like the way they cut between the two, and they use the two plots to play off of each other to keep the audience in the kind of emotional sweet spot of it's not this is not too much of a lark and it's not too much horror. It, we we have a yeah. nice balance by shifting between these.
0: I do like that they, that we get that that balance between them because it would have been too much if it was just all Borg. Um, so they're trying to convince Cochrane. They repeat the line that in the future there's no war, disease, or poverty, um, and that whole thing. And um, because now they've had to come right out and tell him, look, we're from the future. You need to fly and make first mm-hmm. contact. Um, and he says we have the famous line where he says, "And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek." Which they the only yeah. time Star Trek has ever said in, in, in the Star Trek series. Um, so, uh, meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, the Borg Queen grafts human skin onto Data. To what end? Well, to give him a human sense of feeling. Right. Because
1: apparently he can understand human emotions now. And somehow that will be enhanced by giving him sensual feelings as well.
0: I guess. I mean, his presumably he has a sense of touch. It's a, mm-hmm. He can mm-hmm. sense heat and cold and all that but sort of sensors, stuff around him. Yeah. Sensors yeah. in his
2: hands and things like that. Yeah.
1: But he's he doesn't have the full range of human senses. It's,
2: yeah. In, in in a way, it's it's the opposite of the Borg. The Borg take
0: biological
2: yeah. and graft on the mechanical. This is taking the mechanical and grafting on the biological.
0: Right. And I guess that's the
2: way it's making him a Borg, but just the opposite way.
0: Okay. Right. Okay. I see that. Because what they need is to get the encryption algorithm password out of Data because he's locked them out of the ship. So they can't keep doing what they need to do. Okay. Well,
1: also, I I like the body horror of this. And they eventually, so they graft large sections of skin onto Data's arms Mm -hmm. and also on his face. You know, half of his face becomes skin. And, um, you know how Borg skin is is that pale color? Yes, this isn't
0: right. so yeah.
1: they are taking that skin off dead enterprise officers, yes, yeah, and grafting it onto data, and because it's pink and and when you think about that, it's like, okay, this is some effective body horror. They are grafting dead
2: enterprise <laughs> s- <laughs> enterprise crewmen yeah. skin onto data. Yeah, well, then they also change one of his eyes, which of course means just Brent Spiner wearing one contact instead of two. <laughs> yeah, but the yeah. eye where they've covered they've covered his face with the skin, they also put in an eyeball. Dead, dead crewman's yeah, dead, eye, it's eyeball. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, it, it's the it's, it would have been funny if someone said, uh, "Oh, I don't recognize him. His face rings a bell." But uh. yeah. <laughs>
1: oh. and incidentally, um, notice what they do because they, when they turn someone into a Borg they they typically grab take the the left half of their face and replace the eye mm mm mm-hmm. and in as they're turning data into a borg they take the left half of his face and they
0: replace the eye yep right right yes so we get that it's that mirror he's a mirror image mm-hmm. borg thing right so later on data pretends to be or is he pretending to be hurt and confused with the queen when she's talking of him being tempted by the flesh? Is data just pretending or has he really? No, being I think he's serious.
1: Seduced? You think he's, well, he's not initially being seduced. He, he is it, it, at first. I mean, like she's telling him, you know, tear the the flesh off your arm, like you would a defective circuit and he can't do it. Mm-hmm. And okay. That's consistent with us not being able to, cut off our arm um right. or things like that there is a visceral feeling that we have as embodied beings where we it would be very hard for us to um to you know do something like detach an arm and as he's getting flesh it's at least movie logic believable that's happening to him too mm-hmm. he does at a certain point though start voluntarily making out with the queen mm-hmm. you know right. where she kisses him and then steps back, and he steps forward in order to kiss her again. Yep. And so he is voluntarily making out with the queen once the sensual seduction stuff starts. And, of course, we were reminded all the way back from episode mm-hmm. two, um, Fully yeah. Functional. And how long ago that was to the second. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Now, he says later that that he only was tempted by her offer for 0.68 seconds. Uh, we're not told when that happened, <laughs> but presumably everything is either before she makes that offer or it's after he's rejected the offer and is now just pretending.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's the, yeah, that's what I was wondering is at some point it switches to just pretending to accept it and to get her confidence, um, in to get in her confidence. Uh, I forgot to mention, we were going to talk about the holodeck. Uh, we, we get to see the big the big goodbye holodeck mm-hmm. program again. Um, the Mater D is played by Ethan Phillips, yep. Uh, yep. Neelix from, from Voyager, who asked not to be credited so as to confuse fans. I'm not okay. sure why. Yeah. I'm not sure why. He's, much <laughs> less, he's
1: very non-Neelix-like here and much less annoying.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we do get to see Neel- Neelix go flying when the Borg throws him. Yes, we
0: we get to see that.
2: (laughs) Oh, by the way, another another plot hole. So,
1: Picard creates the whole big goodbye sequence on the holodeck for why? Because it's like he looks like he's temporarily camouflaging himself from the Borg with the crowd, and and his goal is to get close to. Nicky the Nose's henchman so he can steal a, a machine gun that Nicky the Nose's henchman has in Chapter 13, and I'm going, dude, you're on a holodeck. Just say, give me a submachine gun <laughs> yeah. or, and turn the
0: safeties off, and you can, you're, you can spare right. all this other time. Or, replicator, create a... <laughs> A fifty caliber minigun, <laughs> so uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger style. That's real. That I can carry through the ship and throw slugs at the Borg. Right. That, presumably that's why i did it. But yeah,
2: because you wanted the 1920s ballroom with the Tommy gun, and and yeah.
0: we had to have the big goodbye. you know that was the the, the very iconic part of TNG lore. So uh, the Borg shift strategy. Now the idea is they want to call in the Borg of the time period of the 21st century and they're going to use uh, an antenna set up on the deflector dish. Um, so uh, I like that when Picard turns to Worf and says, how's your zero-G skills? And Worf visibly deflates when Picard says, we're going on an EVA. It's like, yeah. he kind of <laughs> like... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> he, he says, how,
1: "How do you? How well do you remember um, your zero G combat training?" And Worf says, "I remember it turning my stomach." <laughs> yes. And I love that—that that this is this is Worf is not gung ho about yeah. EVA zero G combat. Yes, he's Mister Warrior, Mister Weapons Expert, and to have him say. I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, is <laughs> it, it turns my stomach. Is a really
2: great character moment for him. Yeah. It well, then good. he responds with Card. What are you thinking? Kind of like he knows. He knows what's going to come next. But what are you thinking? <laughs> right.
0: Uh, the, here we have Lieutenant Hawk's demise. He gets uh, assimilated, yeah. um, which is kind of you know that we have the he he's in profile in turns and we see half his face has got the the boring stuff on it. There's a little bit of effective dramatic moment. Um I like yeah.
1: I also the there's some 2001 a space odyssey references here. Um in 2001 it's the AE35 antenna that fails and yep. that's what they're having to repair here.
0: Oh, very nice. That's that. a good reference. Cool. I didn't I didn't know that one. That's good. So, um we have this The moment when Picard has decided to finally destroy the Enterprise, sets auto-destruct, and we have this parallelism between the auto-destruct sequence on the Enterprise and the pre-launch checklist on the Phoenix, which is the Cochrane's warp ship, um, so that we, we kind of have these moment of triumph and apparent defeat. Um, they're going to send the crew to Gravit Island, which is a remote island in the South Pacific, so they can stay out of the way of history. Not a real place. There was no Gravit Island. That was Ronald D. Moore's assistant, apparently, that they named it after. <laughs> um, but and then they were going to leave a message for Riker and the others to just stay out of the way of history, which was a a, a recurring theme that we have. We saw it in Picard season two, by the way, with uh, Cristobal mm-hmm. Rios.
1: Yeah. So we also have um, Zephyrin Cochran explain what really motivates him to Riker and, and Geordi, he says you know what my vision is? Dollar signs, money. <laughs>
0: yeah. And he
1: wants to retire to a Caribbean island with scantily clad women. And um, and so that is a nice revelation at this point in the movie. Also, we have, um, playing off the larger theme of the movie, of how Picard's initial experience as a drone has impacted him, in the lead-up to the lily scene... Where she convinces Picard to blow up the ship. We have a scene prior to that on the bridge where um, Worf and Dr. Crusher are both standing up to Picard and telling him this. Mm-hmm. And Worf at one point says, With all due respect, oh, yeah. with all due respect, sir, I believe you are allowing your personal experience with the Borg to influence your judgment. Mm hmm. And they just lays it right on the table. That's the central theme yeah. that we've been developing since poor, since Picard's dream. Um, and both Worf and uh, Doctor Crusher are pushing him on this, and he keeps knocking him down verbally. Mm. Uh, at one point, he tells Worf that he's a coward mm. for not yes. wanting to uh, for, to fight the Borg. And Worf says, if you were any other man, I would kill you where you where you stand. <laughs> right <laughs> and, which is which is really nice. But eventually he he cuts off the debate and Worf and Crusher fall in line. Mm-hmm. And it's at that moment that Lily goes to Crusher and says, But he's wrong on this. And she says, The captain's made his decision. We have to follow orders. Right. And that's when and she holds up her hand to to Dr. Crusher as if to say wait a minute and then she follows him into this side room yeah. and talks to him and gives him the blow up the damn ship jean luc speech yeah.
2: right well i like the way that starts too is where she calls him on the fact that he gave this order that seems irrational and he's like well I, they follow my orders and she goes they're used they're probably used to your orders being rational you know yeah. reasonable right. and that's right. how it all starts but it, i mean it's just a good way of pointing out very clearly it's like this was not a good order and he's not acting as the normal John Luke Picard, you know, he's not being rational about this. And so they they really did a good job of leading into that whole argument. And then him coming right. back out and, okay, we're going to do this. And I owe you, I, 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 I like that too, is I owe you apology for some of the things I said.
0: Some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Also there's a little bit of hand waving here where as they're evacuating the ship and Picard has had because he's got some we've been hearing it throughout the the movie they never talk about it but Picard has some kind even though he presumably doesn't have Borg implants in him anymore Picard has some kind of machine telepathy link with mm-hmm. the Borg collective He's capable of sensing things, and he now that data is part of the collective, he hears data calling to him telepathically, and so he he turns to Lily and says, "Here's some instructions. If you see Riker or Worf or any member of, or who, any member of my crew." Tell them to go to North America, find an obscure location, and try to stay out of out of the way of history. And, and he hands her this little pad, and I'm going. Your crew is getting on the ships right. Uh, the escape pods right behind her. Walk ten feet and give it to them yourself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, they're going to Gravit Island. Presumably, he's sending Lily back to Montana. I guess no. she no, she went back move. with
2: them. She went back with them with the so with the crew. She went down to the island as well.
1: Yeah, oh, I guess. But even if she wasn't, there are crew members. <laughs> if you want your crew to have this message, give it to them.
0: Right, right. Exactly.
2: <laughs> eh, he did just through Lily.
0: Yep. So. um so we have this scene on board the the Phoenix where they're having the countdown and Cochran's like, Oh no, I've forgotten something very important and like what what? Abort the countdown. And he's like, Oh, I got it. No, well
1: Riker says we should abort the countdown and and, and, and Cochrane is like, No, it's probably not that important. He's
0: like, oh, wait a minute, here it is.
1: And it's magic oh, yeah. carpet ride. He wants to take <laughs> off the <laughs> whole magic carpet ride, which is which is a very nice scene.
0: Yes, that was very good. I like that. Um uh so the um Picard stays behind to rescue Data. The Queen wants Picard to give himself um willingly to her when he gets there, down there. Um and we have Why? Yeah. Why?
1: <laughs> Why do you want it to be willing? You're you're you take people over by compulsion, just compel him.
0: Right. I mean, there's is, is there an ego thing with the Borg queen going on? Uh, it, I mean, it's none weird. none of this none of this makes any sense. Right. And Data has his temptation in the desert moment or temptation in the garden maybe forbidden fruit i th-
1: my i don't know my sense is that's long over yeah. He's and he's just all acting at this point
0: okay right and so they the 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 big macguffin is if we break the coolant tanks it will release all the this caustic material Dude. that will yeah that will destroy anything organic which is mm-hmm. all of data's organic parts are conveniently removed at that point as well yep. as all of the the drones um, and the Borg Queen was there organic left with her? I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's got oh, right. her, she's
1: got her head and her chest and everything, and all that just gets destroyed. We see her skull and her spine afterwards, which is still active somehow. And Picard neck snaps or spine snaps her metal her metal spine, which mm-hmm. causes it to deactivate. So I don't know exactly what's happening there, but certainly <laughs> he's symbolically killing her. Data yeah. literally. Head, head snapped a borg earlier yeah. in combat. Yeah. Um so he just grabs a borg head and twists it so far the neck pops and so Data directly killed someone that way. That's true. Adapt to this.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we have um you know the Cochrane gets his warp speed moment, we have the, the you know the the Vulcan see it and it's interesting, you know with Cochrane is what we have is the we're seeing the future is born out of a flawed human being. We've t- kind of talked about that before. And, you know, the he has this encounter with the, the Vulcans where he's mm-hmm. dancing with, trying to get them to dance and drink with him. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because as Star Trek fans, we know how those Vulcans must have thought of this display of <laughs> emotion and, and things, especially as we see in Enterprise later. Yeah. So it's if kind of funny. Watch,
1: if you watch carefully the Vulcans he's got in the bar, though, there's there, there are several, but there's a man that's sitting at a table that he's trying to get to drink, and there's a woman sitting at the table, and the man, when he tries to get him to get up and dance, they're not interested in that, but the man immediately turns back to his drink. And so they're, like, trying, to, as Vulcans, they're trying to engage with this <laughs> primitive culture and their primitive rituals, so... That
0: was positive. There's apparently a, an apocryphal, maybe uh, idea that the that Vulcan captain was Spock's grandfather. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, well, Sarek's like Sarek's grand, father,
1: father or grandfather. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and they Sarek is a they, couple hundred years old. Yeah.
1: And they have a, a name for him that they establish in Enterprise.
0: Oh right. Okay, that's where we get that from. Okay. So. Um, uh one last note uh, on this it's the only Star Trek film without a tr- without the transporter room. We never see that mm. we see transporters in use, but we never see the transporter room, which is kind of interesting because that actually could have been a useful tool at various points throughout the story that if they had transporters, but we never see the transporter room. I would
2: I'd assume the Borg assimilated those, so.
0: Right, probably. So uh so that's where we end. Father Corey, last thoughts on this?
2: Well, you know, I I this, in my opinion, is the best of the TNG movies, and I would yeah. put it in all the Star Trek movies. Um, one of the top three. Now, I'd have to go through and kind of figure out what the other two in the top three are, but I, I definitely this is this is one of the the better of the Star Trek movies as a whole. And Like I said, in my opinion, the best of the TNG movies, absolutely. So mm-hmm. I was glad we you know looking forward to to talking about this because I've always liked this one, and not just because part of it's set in Montana. Um, <laughs> course, This is nice. where we get the we get the scene where Jordy is talking about the statue and and you're yeah. looking to the heavens and of course Lord Deck, we get to see the historical monument is actually a theme park. And <laughs> right. the statue is in the middle of the theme park. Right. So that was that was always that was a lot of fun. Yep. Um but yeah, like I said, I, I enjoy this one. I was just, this this and, and this is um if i if I was reading the, the the wiki correctly, at least of the TOS TNG movies, this is the best uh grossing movie yeah. of those most successful. Yeah, Most successful of those movies.
0: Right. Right. Um yeah, and Jimmy, final thoughts? I liked seeing
1: the uh escape pods for the Enterprise and I like seeing them used. It makes sense that they would have them and we hear about escape pods in other Star Trek things, but this is the first time we actually saw them for the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And um I'm glad they did not destroy the ship. Uh, because yes. they just destroyed it last time. And they even hang a lantern on that. Uh, when the order comes to blow this version of the Enterprise up, someone says, you know, it, 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 Crusher has one of these lines. But someone says, well, that's it for the Enterprise-E. And someone else says, oh, we hardly knew her. And so it's nice that they don't actually destroy her. Uh, I agree this is the best of the next generation era movies. I think some of the um, some of the original series movies are better. Um, mm-hmm. I would put uh, Search for Whales probably above this, and maybe Berlin Wall in Space. This might be on a par or better than Wrath of Khan, to in my mind. But those are those are definitely to my mind the top four. Is is uh, Khan, Whales, Berlin Wall, and First Contact.
0: I mean,
2: yeah, I, I think I'd agree with the, that Four, I might reverse whales mm-hmm. and Khan, but
0: uh-huh. yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think this is the best of the TNG uh, films. And yeah, Rathacon and Voyage Home would be like, like the top two, this might be three, Undiscovered Country, four, something like that. Um, but yeah, I think we're in agreement, I guess, if I'm hearing correctly, that yeah. those would be our top four in some Which... order.
2: Which it's means good. we we agree with the even numbers movies were good and the odd number movies weren't. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: although we've kind of at least I've kind of warmed on number three. So
0: yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, three has its has things to recommend it, but yeah. yes,
2: the the strict form of the rule is
1: even movies are good, odd movies are not as good.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. That and, we, and then there's have...
2: five, which is just bad.
0: Right. Well, and I think. <laughs> I think the rule gets broken by nemesis, uh, frankly, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that eventually. All right. I think that should do it for this time. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Star Trek, including Philip G., Danny L., Joshua G., Sean E., and Connie Z. Their generous uh, tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek in all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com/give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs who edited this episode. And so that's it from us. We would love to know what you think of Star Trek: First Contact. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com/trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com/starquestmedia, send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com/discord. You can watch us on The Secrets of Star Trek in video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media, where you should hit the bell, subscribe, and leave a comment. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Star Trek The Next Generation Haven. Hmm. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Akin, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, assimilate this!